with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look this morning at verses 17 to 32. There's a lot here. So hang with me. Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 32. This is God's word for us, his people, this morning. Listen to this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray and ask for his help to understand it. Father, we thank you that you haven't left us on our own to figure out what we should believe or how we should live as your people, but you've given us your word. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds, that you would give us understanding Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace of repentance today. In Christ's name, amen. There's a lot here, so we are going to just jump right in. In verse 17, the Apostle Paul tells us that we should no longer walk like Gentiles. And it's important for us to note that we know from looking at Acts 19, which is where the Ephesian church was founded, we know from looking at earlier moments in the book of Ephesians that the audience to which Paul is writing are ethnically Gentiles. So part of what Paul is saying here is that his audience, the church, Christians, us, must no longer live like we used to. We must no longer live as we did before we were rescued from sin and darkness in Christ. We must no longer live like the world 
around us. And Paul describes a little bit about what that looks like in verses 17 and following. He says, the Gentiles walk in futility of mind, in the futility of their minds. Verse 18 tells us that they are darkened in their understanding and they are ignorant due to their hardness of heart. And that hardness of heart and that lack of understanding, that ignorance, makes them, verse 19 tells us, callous, prone to practice sensuality and greedy for impurity. Note what Paul has just said, uh, because this cuts against the way we often think about ourselves here a bit. Paul says the Gentiles lack understanding because their hearts are twisted and that makes them choose wrong i give y'all a quote a lot and i'm going to give it to you this morning because this passage is directly addressing it this quote comes from an anglican theologian talking about repentance and what he says is that what the heart desires the will chooses And the mind justifies what the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What Paul is saying in these verses is that our hearts are absolutely essential to our thinking. Our hearts affect our ability to understand and to comprehend what we love and desire shapes what we do, and that shapes how we think. We like to think that maybe we are primarily thinkers, and so if we can change our minds on something, then we'll be able to change our behaviors and change our hearts. But friends, that is not what the Bible tells us. We are not primarily thinkers. We are primarily lovers. We are primarily those who desire. And you know this. This is your experience time and time again. Have you ever tried to talk someone out of loving someone that's bad for them? You ever tried to do that? You guys are, some of you are nodding. Never, no, one's ever, no one else has ever done that? Have you ever decided that something you were doing was bad for you and then wondered why you couldn't actually change your behavior? Like we don't lack information. We lack a heart that wants the right things. What the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. And so Paul says, like, what's the answer to this? Instead of walking like the Gentiles, what should we do? Verse 22 says we should put off our old self. And verse 24 says we should put on our new self. Friends, I think that is the most basic definition of what repentance actually is. And so what I've got for you this morning, last week you had a five-point sermon. This week, forgive me, you have a nine-point sermon. (laughs) This is going to go quick. Um, But but I want to think about repentance because it's one of those words, it's one of those terms we use a lot, but we rarely stop to really... Think about what it means and what it implies about our life together in the church, but our life individually in Christ. 
So we're going to think about repentance, and we've got nine uh, points thinking about repentance. Here's the first one. Sin is not the truest thing about us. That's the first thing that Paul's explanation of repentance here teaches us. Sin is not the truest thing about us. Because sin, Paul says in verse 22, belongs to the old self. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Paul says that we are not, as those who love and follow Jesus, as those who are in Christ, we are not primarily defined by our sin. Sin is what we used to be. That is who we used to be. And the good news I can give you this morning is that that is true even when it doesn't feel like it. Sin is not the truest thing about you even and maybe especially when it doesn't feel like it. Because we all have sin struggles. Like we all are struggling against sin in our life. And sometimes it's just like unbelievable how difficult it can be to change. We want to stop doing this stuff that is destructive in our lives. And we just find we can't. We know it's bad. We don't want to do it. But yet it still keeps bubbling up. What Paul is saying here is that our current sin struggles, the things that sometimes it feels like are just going to overwhelm us at some point, those things are not the truest thing about us. They belong to our old self, and God is making us something new. That's where we start thinking about repentance. Sin is not the truest thing about us in Christ. Here's the second thing. Repentance is because, or repentance is necessary because we have sick hearts. We have sick hearts. Verse 22 tells us that our old self was corrupted through deceitful desires. In the early church, they had this great image of what that looked like. And what they said is, what sin has done is it has curved us in on ourselves. Sin has curved us in on ourselves. We were made in God's image to love and to serve and to share our gifts and to bless others. And what sin has done is it has taken this image of God, which was made to be pointed outwards at other people and at God, and it has said, I really care about me. Sin has distorted our desires. It has distorted and twisted our hearts. And so because of that, we have desires that are wrong because largely we are addicted to ourselves. And because of that, we do the wrong things. We choose to do the wrong things and then we justify ourselves. Have you ever seen this? You, you do something wrong. You want something that's wrong. You do something that's wrong and then you justify it as like, well, I really earned it. Like, I deserve that. Or like, maybe that was really somebody else's fault. Like, we do this all the time. But repentance is necessary because our old self was corrupted through deceitful desires. 
In Jeremiah 17, 9, the, the prophet Jeremiah says it, says it beautifully. He says, the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? We keep going back to the same well time and time again, hoping that maybe this time it's actually going to help. This time it's actually going to satisfy, and it never does because our hearts are sick. So that's our second point. I told you, we're moving quick. Third point, repentance is a lifelong process. Repentance is a lifelong process. Uh, I've got some quotes here from theologians because I think they're so helpful. John Calvin uh, one time said that God assigns to believers a race of repentance, which they are to run throughout their entire lives. Think about that. Your life is a lifelong race of repentance. In other words, repentance isn't just something we do and then we're done. It is a lifelong race. Uh, Martin Luther, who wrote uh, the 95 Theses, which really kicked off the Protestant Reformation in Europe, the very first one of his 95 Theses, his protests against abuses he saw in the Catholic Church, was when Jesus said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Luther says repentance isn't just something we do a little bit. Our entire lives are supposed to be a life of repentance. I'll I'll, I'll conclude my my quotes section uh, with the quote I give you all a lot from J.I. Packer that I think so helpfully captures this dynamic. He says, repentance means turning from as much as I see of my sin to give as much as I know of myself to as much as I know of my God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. Repentance means turning from as much as I know of my sin to give as much as I know of myself to as much as I know of my God. And the point there, what Packer is saying, is that throughout your entire life, you're going to come to see your sin more deeply. You're going to come to understand yourself more truly. And you're going to come to understand who God is and his holy and perfect character more completely. And as each one of those things happens, our practice of repentance grows. In other words, in the Christian life, you will repent more. As you grow, not less. You will repent more as you know your sin, yourself, and your God more truly. It is a lifelong process. Here's the fourth thing the gospel requires of us that we have a lifelong openness to growth. The gospel requires that we have a lifelong openness to growth. In other words, part of what Paul is teaching us here as he commands us to put off the old self and put on the new self is that we have to understand we will never arrive. We will never be done this side of the return of Jesus. So we must always be open to the idea that there are places in our lives where we are walking like Gentiles. 
where we are living like we used to before we were rescued from sin and death or where we are living like the world around us in a way that is displeasing to God. We must be open to that always. Always open to such things. Think about the grand idols of our culture. Things like power and influence and control, being in control of our lives. It's why we're obsessed with things like life hacks and productivity techniques. We think if we could just get this thing wrangled, we would be in control of everything that happens to us. Idols of comfort. We love to be comfortable. One author named Jerry Bridges talks about how there are acceptable sins in the church. There are sins that don't really look like sins. And it's the sort of thing where like when you go into a job interview and people say like, what are your weaknesses? And it's, I care too much. You know, I work too hard. Uh, I'm perfectionistic. Like all the weaknesses that actually are, sound like strengths. We kind of have those in the church too. And we have to admit that that's true of us. There are sins in the church we don't mind pointing out. There are sins in the church that we don't mind uh, acknowledging as evil. But if we suddenly start talking about how maybe our ideas of responsibility are actually an idol of comfort or control. Or here's one. I've been a pastor now for almost 14 years. In that time, I've seen some stuff. I've had one person... One, tell me they struggled with the sin of greed. One person. Now, maybe everyone is just doing great on the sin of greed. But my suspicion is we're not paying attention as much to the ways in which we are walking like the Gentiles, the ways that we are living like the world around us. We have to be careful that we don't give any sin a pass. We are uh, required to have a lifelong openness to growth. That's the fourth thing. Here's the fifth. Repentance is not about sin management. Repentance is not about sin management. Here's my example. One of the sins that I have struggled with for well, like two-thirds of my life now, uh, is overeating. Um, Y'all are probably shocked to hear that. Um, no one seems shocked, actually. Everyone's like, really? No, it's, it's, it's apparent. Um, I've struggled with that, and, I, and I've always struggled with my, my weight. And so, like, as I think about repenting over this sin, like, I need to realize that, like, repentance doesn't mean portion control. Like, that's not the shape of repentance. And repentance doesn't even mean that I realize that I eat when I'm stressed, and so what I really need to do is uh, learn to, like, exercise or, or do something productive when I'm stressed out instead of eating. And that's also not repentance. If I'm really interested in repenting for this sin, it's, it's not about managing it. It's about asking the hard question of, of why do I medicate myself with food when I feel stressed out or overwhelmed? 
What does that say about my heart? What does that say about my trust in my Heavenly Father? What does that say about my trust in His provision for me? Friends, repentance is not about just getting better at our sin. It's not about just reducing its frequency. Repentance is really about having a heart transformed by God's grace so that I love what is good, that I love what is true, that I love what is beautiful, that I love what is pleasing to the Lord. Repentance is not just about techniques to make our sin a little better. So, you know, by all means, if you struggle with Um, something like looking at inappropriate things on the internet, whether that's pornography or just mindlessly scrolling Amazon or the Pottery Barn website. Like any of those things are all inappropriate things that might be uh, provoking in you a disordered desire. Like by all means, like use internet tools to like cut off your access to those things. But the goal there is not just to not sin because you don't have access. The goal there is to have a heart that desires what is good. The goal is to have a heart that loves what is good, not a heart that just is obedient for lack of options. Right? Uh, Repentance is not about sin management. It is about a heart transformed by the gospel. Here's the sixth thing. Repentance restores us to our created purpose. Repentance restores us to our created purpose. Uh, You see it in verse 23. Paul says when we do this, when we put off our old selves, we will be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So repentance is renewing us. Verse 24 says uh, we are uh, putting on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God. Uh, Which, again, sounds like the image of God. And so part of what Paul is saying here is that repentance is renewing us in the image of God in which we were created. It is restoring us to what we were made to be. If sin is not the way it's supposed to be, then repentance is part of how we grow into what we were made to be. So that's the sixth thing. Repentance restores us to our created purpose. Our seventh point of nine is that repentance is about turning away from sin, certainly, but it's also about turning towards righteousness. And again, that's just an important thing for us to note uh, because sometimes we act as if uh, repentance or, or sort of walking in obedience just means we stop doing bad things. But that's never actually the picture that the Bible paints. It's not just that we stop doing bad things, it's that we start walking in things that are good. Uh, Our Westminster Larger Catechism actually, I think, covers this beautifully as it goes through the Ten Commandments. It says, what is the sin forbidden here? Which is the thing you would expect to see uh, in an explanation of the Ten Commandments. At each commandment, it does that. So it says, you know, for the Sixth Commandment, do not murder. And so it basically says, like, hey, don't murder. Like, that's what that means. Don't kill people. Don't do things that, that tend towards killing people. Um, I remind my kids of this sometimes. It also says, don't make people want to kill you. 
Um, that's also a violation of the Sixth Commandment. But then it goes on and it says, what is the duty required here? So it's not just what should I avoid, it's, it's what should I do, what should I pursue? And part of what it means then, the Sixth Commandment is telling us, as we turn away from sin, we must turn towards promoting and protecting life. We must turn towards living in such a way that our relationships are are harmonious, not strife and full of stress and anger and bitterness. Repentance is not just turning away from sin, but turning towards righteousness. Here's my eighth point, Uh, and don't despair when I tell you what it is. My eighth point is the second half of this passage. The eighth point is, Paul tells us in verses 25 to 32, some of the things that repentance might look like. Now, you could preach a whole sermon on each one of these verses. Instead, I'm just going to note what Paul is saying here. All right, so stick with me. What repentance might look like and what it looked like for the Ephesian church, what it should look like for us, but just some examples of what repentance looks like. In verse 25, we are supposed to put away falsehood. We're supposed to put away lies, and we're supposed to put on truth. We're supposed to speak what is true. And Paul says, because we are members one of another, which means this is part of how we live together. This repentance is not only shaping us for life in Christ, but it's shaping us for life in the church. This is a picture of the body. We must put away falsehood and speak the truth to one another in the people of God. Verses 26 and 27 say, be angry. Again, anger is not a sin. It says, be angry, but don't sin. And he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, uh, which usually gets translated in premarital counseling to something like, don't go to bed angry. But the reality is what Paul's saying is, pay attention to your anger and deal with it. He's saying, don't prolong dealing with your anger. So if you have something that is persistently making you angry, don't just sit in that. Be active and pursue. Don't give any opportunity to the devil. Don't give him a a foothold to let this be a thing that constantly makes you angry. Go and deal with the source of your anger. If it's your own heart and a sinful desire, deal with that. If it's something that's happening that is sinful in the world, go and deal with that. Verse 28 says, No longer steal, but let the person who steals go do honest work so that they can share with those in need. I think that's kind of beautiful, isn't it? It's saying that the point of work is not just self-sufficiency. It's not just the ability to be independent. The point of work is that we all might share what we have with those who are in need. So instead of taking, which is stealing, he says do honest work, provide for yourself, but also share and be generous with those who don't have as much. Verse 29 says, instead of corrupting talk, speak things that build up, things that are edifying, which means things that are appropriate to the occasion and that give grace to one another. So just a couple of thoughts there. Um, No corrupting talk means don't say things that tend towards sin. Don't say things that are going to make people angry just to make them angry. Don't share juicy bits of gossip or big juicy, oh, did you see blank? That's just going to provoke 
outrage. Speech that is edifying is appropriate to the occasion. So it's helpful to note that even things that are true are not always appropriate to the occasion. In fact, to speak truth unseasonably is just as bad as speaking falsehood. We have to be careful. We must speak only when it's appropriate to the occasion in a way that is able to build up. When your family or your friends or your coworkers are having a bad day, it's not always the best time, for instance, to speak the truth about what you really think of their performance, right? It's unseasonable. It doesn't fit the occasion. It doesn't help build up. Similarly, this speech that is not corrupting means we have to put off as God's people speech that is contemptuous or dismissive of other people. We can't speak contemptuously about others, whether inside or outside of the church. We do not get the option of dismissing other people or treating them with contempt. Verse 30 says repentance might look like not grieving the Holy Spirit, which means not ignoring the conscience that the Holy Spirit is working in you. Which means if you feel convicted about something, you should take that seriously. Don't just say, well, I know it's bad, but I think I've earned it this time. We do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, just as sort of a, a shotgun of things that we're not supposed to do and calling us, I think, implicitly to pursue the opposite, says we shouldn't have, we should put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. They have no place in the church. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Friends, we live in a world, speaking of walking like the Gentiles, we live in a world full of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, making a loud noise about stuff, slander, saying what is untrue about people, and malicious. And, and that is so much of our political conversation in the world. And Paul is saying here that has no place among God's people. Verse 32 tells us repentance means that we are kind towards one another. That we are tender-hearted, which means we are open to loving others, that we are sensitive to their needs. We recognize that they are different than us and that they have different things going on in their lives. We are tender-hearted towards them and we are forgiving because we have been forgiven. We are forgiving in the church with one another because we have been forgiven. And again, I think the whole point of this second half of the passage is that we see how central the church is to growing in repentance, to growth in repentance. Repentance is sort of giving us to the church, enabling our life together. And in the church, we also learn what it is we must repent of. Which takes us to our last point. We've made it. Almost there. Number nine. Repentance is about learning, not about fixing. Repentance is about learning, not about fixing. And I think this is a very important distinction. And here's why. If repentance is about fixing the bad things I do, 
then I'm going to think I have no need to repent as long as I haven't done something bad. So I've got no need to repent because I, you know, I didn't knock off a 7-Eleven this week. No need for repentance. But if repentance is primarily about learning, I am always in need of repenting. I am always in need of learning. It is an ongoing thing, not an occasional thing. Repentance is ongoing and repentance is slow. God heals us by degrees. Repentance is incremental. And I think it's God's grace that he doesn't just show us all of our sin at once because I'm pretty sure it would kill us. He shows it to us slowly and invites us to repent. And friends, we will fail at this constantly. We will fail not only in sinning, but we will fail in repenting. We will walk like the Gentiles do more often than we wish. But even then, we still have no option for considering or believing that our sin or our failure is the most true thing about us. Because verse 32 tells us what is most true about us. We are forgiven in Christ. We are loved by God in Christ. And that means we don't have to walk through our lives being deluded about how great we are, deceiving others about how great we are, or despairing of our righteousness because God is not calling us to clean up ourselves and make ourselves presentable to him. All of this, all of this repentance, all of this journeying, all of this walking in faithfulness and repentance and obedience is about growing deeper and deeper into the love and grace God has shown us. In Christ. We're not earning anything. We are responding to what God has already done. And that's why Paul says in Romans 2 that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Let me leave you with a question. Here's your question for this week You have twisted and distorted desires. That's a fact. Um, That should be baseline every day. You have twisted and distorted desires. What are they? There's your reflection question. What are they? Where are those sinful and distorted desires leading you towards sinful and destructive behavior and self-justification? And if you're feeling really brave, ask your spouse what those might be. Or ask your friends or those who know you best. Ask them where they see you loving things that are destructive and distorted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you are good and faithful. And we thank you that you are inviting us every day to respond to your grace in Christ. You are inviting us to put off our sin and to put on a new self, being renewed and restored into the image of God, what you created us to be. And Father, we pray that you would give us the grace of repentance, that you would show us what it means to walk in faithfulness. Lord, show us our sin. Show us who you are. Show us ourselves. Show us our hearts. Lord, even now as we come to your table, we pray that
you would here strengthen us, that you would here empower us, that you would here be at work in us, teaching us to turn away from sin and to walk in righteousness in preparation for the coming kingdom. Lord, take this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup and use them for that extraordinary purpose. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.